we always are, aren't we? Uh, tonight, look at the danger of drifting. And I want to read from the book of Hebrews, the first four verses of chapter 1 and chapter 2, as we talk about drifting and how we need to stay on course. So I encourage you to stand in God's honor as I read from the Holy Word. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then to chapter 2. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received is just punishment how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation this salvation which was first announced by the lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him god also testified to it by signs wonders and various miracles and gifts of the holy spirit distributed according to his will let's pray thank you father for your truth thank you most for your son pray tonight that we might be reminded that he truly is the focus, Lord, of everything. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Word for actually getting the message. I just got word this afternoon that Ida's funeral is going to be at Weaver's Wednesday night. Visitation 6 to 8, followed by the funeral. So we're not going to have Wednesday night services here. Um, no, a great portion of our people want to be at the funeral. So I encourage you to come and to participate um, to be an encouragement to the family. It's at Weaver's Funeral Home, visitation 6 to 8, followed by the funeral. So, of course, I want to remember the family. I'm going to go by tomorrow and talk to them some more. And I know we'll try to get word out because I know we a lot of times take food by. So just be an encouragement to them. An Eastern proverb states, negligence produces a lot of dirt. You know, I'm always amazed by dust. It takes over. It's almost scary sometimes to look at a ceiling fan. Even if you clean those things, it's like, how in the world? You, you know, it just comes out of nowhere. Over time, we don't have to do anything thing for things to get dirty or for things to fall apart or um, take a vehicle for example you you know you can get a new car and there are those cases of some where they find an older car and say you know this car the only time it was driven was for church on Sunday morning they'd start it up drive it to church come back and put it in the garage and then wait till the next Sunday to drive it and yet I heard from a mechanic that one of the hardest things on a car 
is to not drive it and to not use it, but to leave it just sitting in a garage most of the time and not using it. Or those who have a boat and love to use it and find themselves not using it over time. And then over months when they go back to check the boat, it's missing (laughs) because it was secured. But over time, something happened. It became unsecured and floated away and drifted away. And what can happen in our faith is if we are not active, if we are not focused, if we are not pursuing Jesus, we tend to drift away. We tend to float away from the truth. And yeah, there's a part of us to think, man, you know, the old commercial about Calgon, the Calgon bath, you know, to just help you to sleep and rest and to relax. And, you know, I thought of that. Um, I go to the YMCA a few days a week, and one of the men who's been out there for years, they found him dead in the hot tub. He had fallen asleep and drifted into the hot tub. What seems like comfort can end up being deadly if we're not awake, if we're not paying attention. So if you look in chapter 2 here, he says, we must pay careful attention, therefore. Careful attention to what? What is it that we are to fix our eyes upon? Well, That's where we are in chapter 1, where the book of Hebrews starts out. And then he tells us that in the past, God spoke through prophets. He, He spoke through his mouthpieces, those that he anointed to bring forth his message and his truth to communicate his word. He says, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. He's spoken to us through Christ. If you want to know God, it's only through Jesus. There are a lot of messages out there, but there's only one. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The way is very narrow because there's only one that brings salvation. There's only one who paid the price for our sins. And he goes on and he explains that. He says that God appointed him heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. All of creation itself, all of the universe, all that we enjoy, all that we see, all that we are was made by Jesus. Through him, all that was made was made. And then he goes on to describe him. He says the sun is the radiance of God's glory. If you want to see God shine, if if you want to see the brilliance of God, you look at Jesus. Because that's where the brilliance of God is, is in Jesus Christ. He's the exact representation of his being. To look at Jesus in the scriptures is to look at God. Remember what he said, I and the Father are one. Exact representation of God the Father, is Jesus Christ. To have a picture of what God is really like, read in the scriptures about Jesus, about his ministry, about his love for people, about his teachings, and you learn of God. 
you see God when you look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, then get to know Jesus. It's a simple truth there. He says that Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. And there's a picture here. It's in Genesis. You know, it says, and God said, and God said, and God said. And creation was formed as God spoke. And by his powerful word, he created all things. And it says here in this text that through that same powerful word, he sustains all things. We're able to breathe because God sustains us. We're able to move because he allows us to move. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. It comes from God. It's not just that he created us and created all. He sustains everything. If it were not for the Lord Jesus Christ, it would just be pure chaos. The delicate balance of nature and of the ecosystems of of creation itself would fall apart if Jesus did not sustain it by his powerful word. What a what a picture that we have of Jesus Christ through these verses. And then it tells us that after he had provided purification for sins, in other words, after the cross, the the the, the story of a heartbreak so that we might have a healed heart. The story of the cross, the story of a brutal beating, the story of being hung on a cross. And Jesus said, it is finished. It's complete. It's over. This battle of sin that has condemned mankind has been defeated. That's what the cross is about. He says, after the purification of sins, after it was handled, after hope came into the picture because of the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. It says, then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You, you see, at the, it was that point, it was clear that he's king of kings and he's lord of lords. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He is victorious. He created all things. He sustains all things. And in him is all hope. And, and that's where the focus is to be. Quite simply, is Jesus. Sometimes we have our disagreements. Sometimes we see things in a different pattern. And sometimes my heart breaks when I say Christians who get mad at each other and forget it's Jesus. It is the focus of Christ. Even if we don't agree on some of the doctrines, if we point to Christ, if we point to these simple truths of who he is, that it's how God has spoken. It's through Jesus Christ that he's the message. He's the hope. He's where it's at. If, if that's what you believe, then I agree with you. Regardless, <laughs> that God appointed him above all things, that he sustains all things through him, that the glory of God is seen in Jesus Christ, that if I want to see God, I see Jesus. And that he paid the price for sins, and now that he is sitting in heaven as our hope, as our intercessor. Man, if you believe that, then we're brothers and sisters. That is to be our heart. But if we miss that message, we begin to drift. If we look for other hope, if we look for political figures or celebrities or great thinkers who technology 
man, we live in the age of technology. It changes so quick. Uh, uh, by the time you get something, it becomes obsolete. By the time it gets out there, it seems like. And it's very easy to end up in a slow drift. It's very easy for the rope to become untied and for us to start drifting and losing our way. And people, they, not, they don't just leave the church, but they drift from Christ. And they forget who they are, and they forget whose they are, and they're lost. These first four verses tell us the basis of the one that we believe, the hope that we have. It's in Jesus Christ. And then we come to this second chapter, and he says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. So that we do not drift away. We must listen for Jesus. We must be a people of the book. We must be a people of prayer. We must be a people that come together and remember him. We must be a people who serve. And we must be a people who minister. Because if we are not, we are tempted to drift. John 10.27, Jesus said, My sheep listen to to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And so the question is, I mean, are our Bibles like that car that comes out once a week, and then it goes back home in the garage, and it's parked, and it's not looked at? And um, it's great that we come to church, and it's great that we can sing before God, and we can have messages, but this is not all there is. God calls us to spend some time with him alone. To spend some time with him in his word to worship. God calls this to be a place where we're encouraged. But a place where we're encouraged to spend more time with him. That moves us forward. Otherwise, unless we're connected to him, unless we listen to his voice. We find ourselves drifting away and, and, and uh, further away than we ever intended to be. And so that's why as you look in Hebrews, there are these commands. Like another one, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author of our faith. Fix our eyes on Christ. John Lennon started a controversy in the 1960s when he was quoted as saying that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. And truly, um, there were a lot of people who knew more about um, the Beatles than they did about the Gospels. They were more familiar with John, Paul, George, and Ringo than they were with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And why is that? Because they didn't see Jesus. They saw the church, but they didn't see who the church is. The church are those who have fallen in love with Jesus. The church are those who have been forgiven by Jesus and his work on the cross. The church are the ones who have been forgiven much and so they want to see others find forgiveness and find hope and find mercy. And we need to reach out. We need to feed the poor and we need to meet physical needs. But it's still no substitute for Jesus. It is just a way to get the message out of, you know, I can fill your belly for a little while, but I want to fill your soul. You know what Jesus said? He said, I'm the bread of life. He says, he who who eats of this bread, they're not going to go hungry again. Why? Because what the heart needs is Christ. Because the heart needs. Um, we can choose not to listen to Jesus. Boy, what is missed. He says in verse 2, If the message spoken 
by angels was binding. And every violation and disobedience received was just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. The reason so many people were willing to die is because they had seen Jesus alive. They had seen the risen Christ. Do you think the disciples, after they were in that room, huddled together, shaking in fear and trembling, could have become so bold and powerful apart from the touch of God? Something happened. And I'll tell you what happened. It declares it in the Scriptures. They saw God. They saw Jesus alive. And, and it's always about that. It's always about seeing Jesus. And salvation is not found in the stuff we do for people, although that's good and it has merit. It's about what God has done for us. It's about Jesus and his work, not about our work. Our work falls flat. And if we miss Jesus, we neglect the salvation. Because salvation is not found in any of us. It's found on Jesus and what he did at the cross. Notice in verse 4 he explains what happened. He said, God testified to it by signs, wonders, various miracles. That's all in the book of Acts. It's great when you look in the book of Acts. As you see the church transformed and you see God's people and and they're moving forward in the midst of persecution. God scattered them, which looked like a terrible thing. But when he scattered them, it just turned the church loose with the message of the gospel. And that good news spread and lives were changed because people were alive in Jesus. Powerful stuff. Um, One of the podcasts I've been listening to, uh, I listened to this church Colonial, their podcast, and they have a summer series, and they have guest speakers, and they had this guy, Cindy and I have talked about it, because uh, we both listened to it, wanted to listen to it again, but this guy's like one of the head ministry leaders in Russia, and all he talks about for 35 minutes is what God is doing all over the world, and he's talking all this amazing stuff. He said, do you realize that God is moving among Muslims like maybe uh, never in the history of mankind. I mean, he's people get saved. We don't hear any of that. And, and he was talking about um, how uh, one school that's in uh, the Middle East, and it's got Jews, it's got some Christians, it's got some Muslims, and they're all wanting to learn about God. And they're all in there with the Bible, and they're together not trying to kill each other. They're trying to learn about God. And, and, and many of them are getting saved, and God's at work, and he's doing all this cool stuff as he moves through hearts, as, as the truth is, is seen. Anyway, it's, it's great to, uh, to hear what God is up to and have enjoyed that so much because so often don't hear what God's doing around the world. But it's about that salvation. And it's about that courage that he gives when Jesus becomes the focus. Anyway, it's, it's exciting stuff. And that leads to that last part here. He says, And the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, another special way that Jesus works 
he forgave us of our sin on the cross, but he also empowers us because the scripture declares that at that time that we received Christ into our hearts, he also gave us special gifts to be used to serve Jesus and to serve one another so that his work can go forward. And so we all have special gifts that fit together like a puzzle. But all those gifts point to Jesus. It still comes back to Jesus. As it says in Hebrews 1, he's superior to the angels. There are those who worship the angels. Um, have this idea. and I, tell you, I, got, I got a little frustrated. I watched some of the news the other day. And uh, people in Philadelphia were talking about seeing the Pope. And they were interviewing some guy. And he said, I just want to see if I can catch a glimpse of him. Because I heard that if I see him, I will be blessed. And I want to be blessed. And it just broke my heart. I thought, man, it's not about seeing any leader. It's about seeing Jesus. That's where the blessing comes in. And uh, I'm not trying to push the Pope down. I'm just trying to pull Jesus up. Push Jesus. <laughs> elevate Jesus because he's the, he, he's the one. That's where the, that's where the salvation is found. And when we lose track of him, we have to always come back to Jesus. We drift. Uh, the word could literally be to float by. Like we see in, you know, floating by a piece of tree bark or a leaf or, you know, a dead fish or, or whatever. But what keeps us from floating by is that return to Christ. We always have to go back to Christ. We always have to earnestly consider Him and fix our eyes on Him so that we don't miss the truth. And so the question comes, and, and you know, these checkups that we have to do occasionally. Um, we have to ask ourselves, where have we anchored our souls? Where's our hope? Where's our passion? Is it with Christ? Or is it something else? Because if it's something else, we're drifting. And he calls us, he says, don't drift. You know, it's interesting... Uh, as I looked at this verse, uh, 2 verse 1, where he says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. I wanted to see if there's somewhere else in the New Testament where the word drift is used. I only found one place. And, you know, I thought it kind of, it has some significance. It's near the end of the book of Acts. I want to just kind of march through the text and look at it because I think it's significant. Acts 27, starting at 27 through 44. We read, it says, uh, On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. Short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. It said they knew they were coming close to the land. The next verse is, fearing they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors. And they prayed for daylight. I want to see so I don't end up crushed by the rocks. It says in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboats down, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. 
So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Or um, another translation, let it drift. They let the lifeboat go. He goes on, um, it says, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. They've been afraid. They've been without nourishment. He said, it's time to eat, guys. Time to get some strength. You need it to survive. And I love this. Paul says, not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. You imagine, they're all quivering. They're all shaking. The one hope they had, they let drift away this lifeboat. But they hear Paul, and Paul says, in the middle of all this fear, not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Here's this guy that's calm in the midst of the storm. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. I like to think he must have thought about when Jesus appeared. He's resurrected and he invited them to come and he broke the bread and they could see Jesus. They could see him clearly after he invited them to eat and broke the bread. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten so much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. So they ate till their tummies were stuffed and threw the rest overboard. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. (laughs) Cutting the loose anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail of the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. So there was some drama. There was some fear as the ship was torn apart. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land and safe. What Paul said. Guys, not a single hair on anybody's head is going to be harmed. God is going to provide. You talked about that this morning. God will provide. We'll just trust Him. They thought, this guy's calm in the midst of everybody just about to lose their mind. What's going on? What's the difference? Why did the centurion want to save Paul? What is this all about? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about Jesus. Paul loved Jesus. Paul's focus was on Jesus. And they're in the midst of this storm. They're in the midst of a, of a ship running aground. There's all this terror going on. And they look at this guy who has an uncanny peace. Oh, we call it the peace of God that passes all understanding. Where does that come from? Jesus. You see, Paul was able to see Jesus. Paul was spending time with Jesus. Paul was looking for his hope in Jesus. And his influence made a difference. And I love that where it said they all made it to the land. Everyone was spared.
And look to that for hope as our calling. Because sometimes it's so frustrating. I want people to know about Jesus. And to be honest with you, sometimes I don't, I feel like, where do I even start? Because people kind of, I'll try to talk to them and they kind of cut me off. I mean, I can't even hardly get the four spiritual laws because they cut me off when I get at law one sometimes. And it's like, God, open hearts. Help me to be an influence. Help me to share your message. God, do a do a, a work, God. And sometimes I might mess it all up, but I know the one key is it's got to be lifting up Jesus. It's got to be reminding people about the way there is Jesus. The hope is Jesus. If not, it's everything else is drifting if Jesus is not the center of our hope. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the one who's king of kings and lord of lords. He's the one to whom we pray. He, he's the one who is our constant daily hope. He's the one who forgives sin. And without Jesus, quite honestly... There's no reason for us to meet, to be here. And we must always come back to that. Otherwise, we drift. So I guess as I close this message, it's just a call for a checkup. Let's check our hearts. Is Jesus the heartbeat? If he's not, we may be drifting. Let's pray. Lord, uh, Too often I feel myself drift, Lord. Call me close to you. To give special attention to you. To Jesus Christ, the resurrected hope. Father, it's you, not me or anyone else here. It's you. And and Father... How can we miss so great a salvation? Some do, but Father, may it not be because of our drifting. Help us, Father, to move toward you so that people can see you and that people might find that great salvation, that people might see Jesus and and find the love of their life, the love of our lives. Father, that's what it's about. So I just pray that you move us to you. Have your way in this time. And may we just simply listen to your voice and follow you. Because in these days, you reveal yourself through your son, Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.